Hi, Connectors. This episode is dedicated to Mental Health America of Tippecanoe County. For more information, log on to www.mhatippecanoe.org. All right, it's time for the show, so you know what to do. Sit back, relax, do what you do, whatever you do while listening to a podcast, and let's get connected. After, you know, picking yourself up and muscling forward is bad for our mental health because we're doing it over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. Everybody has a breaking point. Yes. You know, and we're supposed to be strong. We're supposed to be resilient. We're supposed to be, you know, able to to take take beating and take a licking and keep on ticking like they used to say (laughs) for those Timex watches. Yeah, right. Um, It gets tired. Mm -hmm. It gets tired. So anyway, okay. So go ahead and do your thing, baby. Do your thing. Well, there you have it, connectors. Welcome to another episode of Connected to the Podcast. I am here with CJ Brooks. Yes. Yes, of Lafayette, Indiana. West Lafayette, Lafayette, Indiana. And she is a case manager at Wabash Valley Alliance. How you doing today, Miss CJ? I'm doing excellent. I've had a busy day, but I'm glad to have had a chance to have dinner with you. And thank you for dinner. Uh, and, and and get to know you a little better. Yes. So I met. We were talking about this over dinner. Okay. I met CJ a couple of years ago, maybe 2014-ish. Could be. Yeah. Could be. I don't know where. I'm not either. I'm not, I'm not <laughs> even sure. But I just have a, a mental picture of where I, I met you and. Yeah, it's a restaurant downtown. Because she's a singer. I'm a singer. She's a jazz singer. So we'll talk. Whatever singer, honey. Whatever singer. (laughs) We'll talk more about that. And she's also a poet, right? Tell me. I remember you reading a poem. Yeah, I'm not a poet, but I like poetry. I got you. And I I like to do it with um, flair. I got you. (laughs) And it is. (laughs) Wait a minute. Was your husband behind you at the what? library? N- not the library. Um, 2017 April Jazz Fest. You read a poem, or you recited a poem, and you had a drummer or bongos in the yeah, back. Yeah. Was that your husband? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> all right. All right. All right. It's all coming together. So, where are you from? I'm originally from Rockford, Illinois. I've been in the Lafayette area since December of 1979. Okay. And um, moved here with a husband, my husband, my first husband, and pregnant with my first child. And um, even after the divorce, I decided to stay because I liked the community. Okay. Rockville? Rockford. Rockford, Illinois. Illinois. Mm-hmm. All right, so how was life growing up in Rockford? I've never heard of Rockford, obviously. Um, so tell me about Rockford. Rockford was um, the second largest city in Illinois. And it seemed like whatever Chicago was doing, mm-hmm. we would do 10 years later. Oh, <laughs> that city. <laughs> so at the time um, I moved away, um, Rockford had, had the drive-by shootings 
had become the order of the day, mm-hmm. um, like they had been. In, they had started in Chicago ten years prior. I see. Um, and um, but it was there was a sizable black population in Rockford, and we had a black alderman. So and and, and we had you know people that it, it, people African American people in places of power mm-hmm. in the city. So that wasn't weird to me. It didn't become weird to me until I moved to Lafayette, mm-hmm. where it was not happening. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and 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 uh, you know, I, I can go into that history, but that's not part of your your your. No, um, this is all about you. Tell me about you. Oh, okay. So, we moved to Lafayette, and you know, both my husband and I were just looking at this little podunk place, and we go, "We'll be movers and shakers here in no time." Uh-huh. We just said that, okay? But as it turned out. I became the first African American to be elected to an, any office okay. in the history of Tippecanoe County. Wow. And uh, my husband, well, that's, that was when I was elected to the school board okay. by one vote. Wow. Um, and my husband was the second African American uh, elected to any position in Lafayette, Indiana, or in Tippecanoe County, when he became part of the city council. Okay. So, um, We've, those words we said as, you know, cocky 20 somethings, mm-hmm. you know, eventually came true. Um, so I served on the school board for 12 years, and um, he's still serving on the city council of Lafayette. Okay. Now, were you a teacher, or why the school board? Well, I was on the school board because there was a couple of members of the school board, two or three members, three, that were causing a lot of drama on the school board <laughs> and school board meetings were running to like one or two o'clock in the morning mm-hmm. and the citizenry was getting tired of it mm-hmm. so they actively sought out people who were intelligent and knew how to work well with others I see and a couple of my girl of my daughter's parents approached me asking me to consider and I had never even thought about anything like that but I talked to my dad who served on um, the school board as, as a to take the to finish up a term that somebody had dropped out of, mm-hmm. um, and I asked him. I talked to my husband. I talked to you know several people that I trusted, and the um, the, the the result of that was yes, you should do this, and um, I did that, and um, I haven't regretted it. No. What um, was your favorite part about serving? Graduation. <laughs> okay. When I got to give out diplomas see, to see. the students, mm-hmm. and because I had, uh, I was part of a youth ministry at my church. Mm-hmm. There were some children. There were some youth that were special to me. Yeah. So I got to, you know, be, be, say specifically, I wanted to make sure I hand the diploma to this person, this person, this person, as well as the part of the alphabet that I'm assigned for for mm-hmm. that day. And um, so some of those, sometimes that included my children, yeah. sometimes it included the kids that were in my youth group. And I just, and, and the choir and the band could do Battle Hymn of the Republic. Mm-hmm. And it brought tears to my Aww. eyes every year. <laughs> I loved graduation. <laughs> so, um, you know, but, 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 but also being in a place of, of, of um, a position where I could be seen. Mm-hmm. The, the, what's hoping to, the, the black children would see that and say you too could be in this kind of a position 
aspire to do something greater than what you're thinking of right now. Yeah. You know, so uh, I know when I gave, I was able to um, address the graduating class on a couple of occasions. Oh, yeah. And I was intent on telling them, don't let high school graduation be the pinnacle of your life. Right. Aspire to do greater things. And um, I just enjoyed being able to do that and let people see that, yeah, a black person can serve in a position of power mm -hmm. and not be an embarrassment to the community. Right. <laughs> so, and I, that, 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 I was hoping that would just swing the doors open for more black people to feel like they can be part of the political process, and I haven't seen that happen yet. But hey, um, we hey. do have people in positions of power yeah. in the Lafayette community. The, the, the executive director of the public library, the okay. county library, is an African-American man, um, Josh Holman, and we're good friends. Um, and there's other, you know, there's other people that are in positions uh, in other areas. So I feel like at least people know now that we can do this and do a good job. Mm -hmm. so. so where does this knack for, I wouldn't say activism, but leadership My daddy. From My daddy. Uh, you know, to me, he was just daddy. I need some money for some shoes. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you know, make sure there's food on the table. You know, I need some school clothes. You know, that was daddy. Yeah. But then I realized that he was a public servant too. Mm -hmm. As I got older and was realizing that he was, um, you know, he was he served on this board. He served on that board. He um, he and his friends started an organization in my hometown called RAM, Rockford Area Minority Management. Okay. They give scholarships every year to African-American high school students that they mentor throughout the years mm -hmm. and who want to pursue, um, you know, degree in business in some area of business. Okay. And they have a great big banquet every year. And, you know, notable people come and speak at this banquet. And Maya Angelou came once. Oh, um, nice. Les Brown came once. Uh, Dick Gregory came once. You know, no. these people came and spoke at their banquet. And... Um, just knowing that my, and, and I guess it just passed on through the genetics <laughs> that, you know, I was in, in that same kind of frame of mind. Mm -hmm. um, when somebody first approached me about being, taking their place on a board of directors. Mm -hmm. And that's where it started. Hannah, Hannah Community Center. Okay, yes. Um, my, um, the man who is now my pastor um, was leaving the board and he asked me to take his place on the board. Because they wanted somebody that was lived in the Hannah neighborhood, mm -hmm. and I did live in the Hannah neighborhood, so um, that's where it started here for me in Lafayette. And the Hannah Center, can you explain what the Hannah Center is? The Hannah Center is was traditionally a um, community center for the African American community. Um, Lafayette practiced redlining. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay, black people were moved into the north end of Lafayette. Mm -hmm. And you know that's the only place realtors would put them in, and and there was there's a there's a black couple of black churches in the neighborhood, and um, so that was a traditional community center for them to if they needed help to find help, mm. and and it grew from there, and it's it's more community center now, and not just for African Americans, but that's how it started, but right now they offer their 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 two main areas are senior citizens and the youth. Okay. That they service. And um, what, um, two, maybe three weeks ago now, the Ebony and Ivory Ball 
major fundraiser. Yeah. For a lot of people, that is like their social event of the year. <laughs> oh yes, they, they they look for their dress. You know, yes. <laughs> you know, in in, in 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 October, November, December for the Ebony and Ivory Ball. Uh-huh. You know, and and um, so yeah. My, what my grandma would say: they'll get their hair. The ladies get their hair fried, dyed, laid, laid to the side. side. <laughs> yes, <laughs> get the nails done. You know, and and, and it was just a, a, a social event mm-hmm. that people came to enjoy and look forward to. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Uh, this, it's, it's, it's become a community staple now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you're saying your dad um, was a big influence in your mm-hmm. community leadership role. Did your parents ever encourage you to pursue the arts? Well, I was just drawn to the arts just because of my, my heritage, you know. Um, I, I just loved music growing up, and I was able, my mother sang, my daddy sang, mm-hmm. um, me and my siblings we sound awesome together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, singing was part of my life since from the, my earliest memories of me. Oh. Uh, so uh, I guess you can say they did, because um, we sang in the church choirs, and uh, my dad and I did duets from time to time, and. Um, my sister and I, and one of my sisters and I, and it was just something, but music was just a part of our family, and especially in the church. Mm-hmm. So your hobbies today, I'm sure they include singing? Oh, yes, 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 yes. I'm, um, I'm, a, member, I'm a fledgling member of a fledgling uh, <laughs> band. Uh, we were funk and old school, but now we're kind of old school and smooth stuff. And okay. we're still looking for um, you know musicians to round us out. But I'm also a member of a bluegrass band. Okay. Um, and um, learning to play the banjo ukulele. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm still singing in church every Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's just... Music is just a part of my life. Yeah. And if I'm, you know, for me to get the good, the best work that can get out of me at my job is if I got music <laughs> playing, you know. Like, I, I totally so, understand. You know, that's just, it's playing in my, in my apartment now. You know, my husband and I both enjoy um, music and mm-hmm. uh, he's, a, he's a bass musician and I think I've always had a thing for bass oh. players. <laughs> <laughs> they they are something. <laughs> so what's one of your, your spots around town? Here in either West Lafayette or Lafayette. Well, I really haven't set 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 that up. I mean, I, I go wherever things are going on that I like to enjoy. Like I I've I've, I've been seen at the Long Center, mm-hmm. I've been seen at the Lafayette Theater. I've been seen at the pinball uh, <laughs> uh, place on Main Street. Uh, oh yeah, the arcade. Uh, right? Arcade, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's pretty sweet. <laughs> um, I've been seen. I, I, I like I like to go to Purdue's. Um, there, there are a lot of different uh, activities that that go on at Purdue that I like to go to. Mm-hmm. Um, Whenever there's a speaker of interest, when Neil deGrasse Tyson was here, girl. Oh, my goodness. I stood in line for two hours for that one. Oh, yeah? Uh, when Harry Belafonte was here, I was there for that. When um, 
Oh, goodness. So many different people I could... My first concert at Purdue was Patrice Russian. Oh, wow. Back in the 80s. And um, I just I just love the, the programs they put on at Purdue. So I, yeah, they are I pretty could, nice. Maybe I can pull a few extra coins together. <laughs> I'll go. Yeah. And I've gone to, to see plays at Purdue, gone to concerts at Purdue. So I guess if, I, if there's one place, I, this is Purdue. Yeah. You know, um, because I enjoy music, musical programs and lectures and... You know, special events. Yeah, they. I've been to a couple of their events. They're all pretty nice. Yeah, what are going on there? So, um, speaking of universities, where did you go to undergrad? Uh, Northern Illinois University in DeKalb, okay. Illinois. Okay. Um, I did take a couple of off-campus classes through Purdue. Um, but I didn't graduate from Purdue. I had already graduated from Northern Illinois. I see. And um, I took a couple of classes just for my general interest. Mm -hmm. um, what? Off-site. Sorry. I... Oh, well, okay. There was a couple of... I was thinking about going into human resources. And I took a couple of off-campus classes mm -hmm. in that field. Um, I forget what it's called now. There's a school for that. And I can't think of the name of it right now. Um, but, you know, it didn't pan out, but I still enjoyed the learning experience. Um, so, yeah. I guess I consider, consider myself a Purdue alum if I really want to. <laughs> I, I think so. Your <laughs> classes, yes. Right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so what did you study at North... I'm sorry, say that again. I graduated with a degree in biology from Northern Illinois University. Northern Illinois. I was going to say Northwestern. Northern Illinois. Oh, honey, no. Northwestern. <laughs> 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 too, too, too high for oh, me. No, no, no. So with biology. Biology. Yeah. That oh, honey, that's too much for me. <laughs> <laughs> so biology. Uh -huh. What was your interest in biology? I wanted to save the world from pollution. Okay. Instead, I made four babies with that biology degree. <laughs> <laughs> you learned all about biology. <laughs> And then tested it out yep. in real life. Okay. <laughs> Made four babies. Okay. And <laughs> they're smart as whips, all of them. Oh, <laughs> that's sweet. Oh, yeah. So, biology. Mm -hmm. And now you are a case manager. Yes. I'm a case manager at Wabash Valley Alliance. Um, I worked with what we call the ACT team, ACT, mm -hmm. Assertive Community Treatment. Um, the ACT team is one of the outpatient branches um, for Wabash Valley Alliance, and we deal with the, the severely mentally ill population. Um, so take, uh, ideally, technically, we work with people that can't seem to stay out of jail, can't seem to stay out of the hospital. Mm -hmm. um, but we try to work with them to get them to live independently in the community. And we've had some successes, we've had some failures. But, you know, this is like any, any, any human endeavor, mm -hmm. you know, it's an individual thing. Um, but we, we do, um, we provide them with case management services, we provide them with therapy if they're um, inclined to want that therapy. And we provide them with medication management. And um, we can help them with money management. We can help them with learning activities of daily living. Uh, I was... I was surprised to learn that some people grow up and their parents didn't teach them how to wash dishes hmm. or how to cook <laughs> wow. a meal or how to sweep a floor or how to, wow. you know, take care of an apartment, basically. Mm -hmm. or, or, or 
you know, this, I'm surprised. I learned a lot through this job, let's say that. Okay. Um, I how, realized how blessed I was growing up. Mm-hmm. That I had both parents who were both uh, working. They both, you know, encouraged us in school. And they, you know, got on our butts if we didn't <laughs> act right. You know, mm-hmm. who t- taught us, who disciplined us, who took care of business. Right. And made sure that we had everything we needed. Mm-hmm. And even some of the things we wanted. Um, I didn't realize how blessed I was yes. until I got this job. And it was uh, about eye-opener for me. Mm-hmm. But I found that I had a heart for this kind of work. How did you find um, case management? It was it was a, a fluke. I was between jobs and a girlfriend who worked at Wabash Valley at, at the um, at one of the outpatient branches. And she said, they're looking for case managers for the ACT team. You ought to apply. I said, I don't have a social work degree. She mm-hmm. said, they want any kind of degree. Uh-huh. I said, oh, I got one of those. <laughs> so, so I applied, and, you know, because I was looking for a job. Right. I was never really, um, I didn't really have a career path. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't have one of those. Just, just I want to do a job, give me a job I can do and give me, pay me for it so right. I can, you know, live. And then I found out that I actually had a heart for this kind of work. So being a case manager, are you saying that I don't need a degree? I can just have the heart for it? No, 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 no. They, they required a degree. Mm-hmm. You had to have a bachelor degree. Right. And I think sometimes even associate with a degree will work. But you have to have some kind of education. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, like, how did you learn your job? Or is it just like a regular... I shadowed. I shadowed I another case manager, an experienced case manager. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, they gave me the big employee handbook, you know, and I, you know, slogged through that. Yeah. But, um, but by shadowing another case manager and seeing what kinds of things are expected, mm-hmm. that's how I learned. Because I'm just wondering, now, tell me this, a case manager, there are different types of case managers, right? Like, you're, uh, you're in the mental health Mm-hmm. field mm-hmm. and so there are case managers for those patients mm-hmm. and then there's a nursing home and there's case managers for okay, nursing we're, homes. We're or, talking difference between case managers and case workers. I, yes. There is a difference. Okay. Um, but with case managers we're actually helping to manage certain people I on see. our team. We have about a hundred people on our team. And we divide them up amongst the different case managers. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody has a set number of case of people that they concentrate on. Mm-hmm. And we sometimes we have to help each other out. You know, if there's conflicts in the schedule, and um, and I'm in a position now where I take care of all the treatment plans. Mm-hmm. So I have a smaller caseload than everybody else, but I get to meet with everybody on the ACT team. Um, and so you're meeting with a hundred people at, at yeah not not at same time thankfully right. but you know over over the course of a year I, I should be able to meet with everybody I see and so then you talked a little bit earlier about the types of things but what's a typical day like for you for me a typical day includes doing a few updating a few treatment plans mm-hmm. because a treatment plan has to be updated every three months we have several types of of, of, of um, tools to um, chart their growth or their progress. Um, Every three months is a a treatment plan. Every six months is an 
answer or an adult's needs and strengths assessment. And we also chart their progress every, every year with a biopsychosocial um, examination. Biopsychosocial, yeah, BPSE, evaluation. There you go. Okay, there we go. <laughs> so um, I basically make sure I see, meet with everybody at least once every three months to assess their progress. Um, because I work with the severely mentally ill, mm -hmm. progress may not be as fast as with those who are not severely mentally ill. Mm -hmm. um, but I still have to chart their, their, their progress as, as, as they work with the ACT team. Mm -hmm. you know, have they learned how to take care of their apartment? Have they learned how to use coping skills to mitigate some of their um, impairments? Have they um, learned how to talk to people? <laughs> I love you know? some people who aren't <laughs> mentally ill. <laughs> don't know how to talk that. to people. <laughs> it's called interpersonal fun interpersonal functioning. Yeah. You know, so um, we try to make sure they. We have several um, levels or functional impairments. Adaptation to change. Mm -hmm interpersonal functioning, uh, activities of daily living, and psychological uh, functioning. Um, we just we try to help them to move forward in these areas so they can learn how to manage their symptoms. Okay, you're feeling depressed. Uh, instead of cutting on yourself, try taking a walk. Mm -hmm. you know, engage in some exercise. You yeah. know, use a coping skill instead of cutting on yourself. Um, you know, are they able to do that now? Right. You know, and, and, and we've, we've, seen, we've seen quite a few progress, but we've also seen quite a few that regress mm -hmm. and just that can't seem to get it, you know. And now we're also faced with the um, scourge of spice. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, yeah, that's something, I'm glad you brought that up. Like, you're kind of making me move along with my questions, but thank you. Because <laughs> You talked about the ACT team, and I kind of wanted to talk a, a bit about that a little bit. But since we're talking about SPICE, can you <clears throat> tell, talk about SPICE and opioids and how it's been a major factor in the mental health <sighs> crisis <laughs> that's going on? Um, I don't think we have so much of a problem with opioids. Mm -hmm. There's We, we don't... Um, our, our, our prescribers don't go towards those. Those, those, are, those are pain management um, tools. Mm -hmm. um, and we do have some people that do have chronic pain and are taking um, some kind of benzos or, or, or opioids, you know, as Percocet, there's, mm -hmm. you know, those, those different kinds of names. Um, and we do have to monitor their progress on that. Um, but spice has just been a scourge. Wow, a scourge. They 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 used to call it legal marijuana, mm -hmm. and it ain't that at all. Um, they was called bath salts at one time. It was called you know by a number of names, um, but it's a manufactured drug, and you don't know who is done what 
to that bat, particular batch, mm -hmm. you know, and you are really playing, you're playing Russian roulette mm -hmm. when you decide to smoke spice. And um, it causes people to act out. Um, it causes people to um, engage in, in reckless behavior. It causes people to, um, sometimes they'll come to the office tweaked out on spice. And just get downright abusive in their language and in the way that, you know, tearing up, trying to tear up the furniture and, you know, just totally acting out. And we have to kick them out of the building. Mm -hmm. You know, um, it's, it's, it's just it's a horrible thing. It's a horrible thing. So that was something that I've always been, I don't know, saddened by. Not just like people who are hallucinating because of a drug, but a person who is mentally ill and who is experiencing a psychotic episode or who is manic. And we have police who are not well trained. So like as a professional, mm -hmm. what's a way us lay folk or people who aren't as familiar with people with mental illness, what's a way that maybe police officers should help de-escalate the situation. There are certain officers who are trained at CIT. And I can't remember what that stands for. <laughs> <laughs> but they're the ones that are taught how to deal with people with, 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 a, with, with an obvious side of mental illness. Mm -hmm. And they're taught how to de-escalate people in that situation. Sometimes it's just by talking to them. Um, you know, we don't want to tase. We don't tase. The police tase. Mm -hmm. But they don't want to have to do that unless they have to. That's why if, if, if something is going on and you can get, if you get a CIT police, trained police officer on the scene, they know what to do. Um, my boss, as a matter of fact, uh, trains CIT policemen, uh, teaches them how to, how to de-escalate and how to um, help people in that situation. A lot of times it's just maintaining a calm voice. Uh, there's a certain stance you have to maintain in order to protect yourself. Mm -hmm. And there are certain moves you can make if they, if they do come at you that you can help to deflect um, any attack um, that they may try to inflict on you. Um, and there's training that you have to go through to learn that stuff. Um, but it's it's all it's it's very individualistic, and it's just be, being able to learn just to to know which tech technique will work best with with somebody. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, if you get as ramped up as they are, you know, or as verbally abusive as they are, that's not right. going to help things. And sometimes we just have to kick them out of the building, call the police, and have them escorted out. Wow. You know, we just sometimes they don't leave us in a choice. Mm -hmm. If if they will not listen to reason, mm. and chances are, if they're tweaked out on spice, they're not about to listen to reason. Hmm. It's 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 a very tricky thing. Um, I try to make sure I don't get alone with anybody. Mm -hmm. You know, especially if if and if I see that they're like if I want if I want to talk to somebody about their treatment plan and they're in the office and they're acting out. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to approach them. Right. I'm not going to mess with them. You know, I, 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 I make sure I go someplace else. Um, avoidance is basically my coping skill. 
Yeah, I wouldn't want anything to happen to you. Wow. Me either. <laughs> wow. So more CIT officer training. Mm-hmm. His, and that is ongoing. That is ongoing. My boss, every every few every few weeks, or every few every, every few months, he's um, going to be out of the office for a few days, mm-hmm. doing some CIT training, because that seems to be the big thing now too. You know, with all these mass shootings and all that, yes. there everybody's talking about you know banning guns. You know, everybody has to learn more about mental illness, and quite frankly. Yeah, everybody needs to need, needs needs to know more about mental illness. Mm-hmm. But I don't think they're always the ones that do that. Right. Because uh, one of, oh, one of the functional impairments I forgot to mention was concentration, persistence, and pace. Being able to stay focused on a task. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's a big functional <laughs> impairment in our community. Uh-huh. Okay, somebody who can't can't keep it together long enough to wash a sink of dishes. Mm-hmm. You know how they're gonna stay focused long enough to plan a massive, massive attack. And that's what, thank you for bringing that up as well, because yes, we are hearing, and I just say a silent prayer for the families who were devastated by, I guess, almost two weeks ago now, down in Florida, um, the shooting there. But you're hearing, oh, it's mental illness, we need to, you know, raise awareness. But I don't believe... we do, mm-hmm. but I'm thinking it's, it's not always that issue. So, what? How do you distinguish as a mental health professional? How do you distinguish an an intentional act of violence versus versus an, an not intentional versus a violent act caused by mental illness? Those kinds of attacks are generally not planned. It's for the moment. Mm-hmm. Those that are caused by mental illness, generally. Mm-hmm. Um, now, to 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 be of a frame of mind that you want to kill massive amounts of people, it has to be some kind of a mental illness. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like somebody. But this 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 thing in Florida sounds like it was revenge. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember a few years back there was this thing called, called going postal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and it just seemed like somebody, somebody would just snap and he said, I can't, I'm not taking anymore. I'm going to get back to the people that hurt my feelings and I'm going to, you know, then kill myself. Right. You know, something's wrong definitely mentally with them. But I don't, that, that's not something you can predict. That's not something you can plan. Mm-hmm. 90% of the people that I work with are not looking to kill people. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I'm talking about, the severely mentally ill population. They may get tweaked out on spice and say, I'm gonna kill everybody up in here. I'm gonna give me a gun. Who's gonna sell you a gun? Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, how you gonna afford a gun on your social security? <laughs> your SSI, how you gonna afford a gun? You know? <laughs> so, you know, they may spout that. But generally, there's there's a certain amount of mental illness that may be involved. Mm -hmm. You know, to want to kill other people, I think, yeah, you got to have something. But I don't think it's it's just that. I think guns are just too too available in this country. Mm -hmm. I wish we could do like Japan does. Japan sends you through multiple hoops. Yes. In a long period of time before you get a permit Mm -hmm. to carry a gun or to get a gun. 
to get a gun. Yeah. Okay. I wish we had one of those situations, but everybody's still spouting on the Second Amendment yeah. and gives us the right. If they read the Second Amendment, they would know what it really talks about. It's talking about a, a, a well-formed public militia. Yes. Not being able to buy guns that can shoot a massive amount of people in a short period of time. Yeah, 600 rounds. What do you need that for? And the go- hunters don't need that. They don't want to make hamburger out the field. <laughs> <laughs> Shit, their deer full of full of full of pellets to make it like ground beef right there or ground venison right there on the field. They don't right. want that. I was thinking. Um, he says, "Well, under Obama, President Obama, there was if you have a mental illness, you can't get a gun." Mm-hmm. And people were saying, "Oh no, that's too harsh." And <laughs> from what I've been reading. Um, maybe that is too harsh because just because you have a mental illness does not mean that you, you want, want to kill to people. Kill people, right? However, just like with um, I forgot his name, the um, the murderer from Sandy Hook, he mm. had mental illness that was not addressed. That was not he didn't have a treatment plan, and so those mental illnesses ended up causing him to, I I should say those untreated illnesses caused his brain to deteriorate and then hmm, let's go kill Shoot up a bunch of kids. kids, Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a really, it's a really tricky situation and, and, and it's not helped by the fact that guns are one so readily available. Mm -hmm. Um, that you can go to a gun show. Yes. And just buy one without, with, yeah, they say they do background checks, but come on. Right. Do they really? Um, and, and yeah, the, the undiagnosed people and, and the fact that they had complaints about this person before. Right. That were not followed up on. That's a travesty. Mm-hmm. The one in Florida. Yes. That was a travesty. They had warnings about him. Yes. Um. Yeah, it's it's um it's a sad situation, and it's it, it's not helped by the fact that we got people clock you know saying I got a right to my guns, mm-hmm. you know, because of the Second Amendment. Amendment. You're not part of a well-formed militia. Yeah, I think people like to read everything the way they want to. They read. want to read it. That's right. <laughs> That's right. An organized militia. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, if, if they really read it, they would know that that's not what it's talking about. And, and this is just to stop the government from In tyranny. Shooting their lives. Yeah. We have to remember there was a different world mm-hmm. back then in the 1700s. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so you're right. And there were no bump stocks. There were no... You know, armor-piercing bullets. There was, you know, there was none of that. Man, and I, uh, now there is, and we're not, we're not, we're, 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 the NRA has a fantastic lobbying group of people, lo- group of lobbyists. Yes, they are on it, and they can twist and turn things to their advantage like you wouldn't believe. And they've got so many people in their pocket. It's 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 sad. Very sad. It is. And we got this one place here in town that talks about everybody should have four guns. Mm-mm. 
You know, a handgun for personal defense, a uh, 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 a shotgun for home defense, a uh, uh, a certain kind of rifle to put food on the table, and another kind for you know national defense. What? You know, I love my country. <laughs> I love my country, Tizzy. I do. But I tell you, in the other countries I've lived. I actually felt safer there, and I've lived in the Middle East, and I felt safer in the Middle East than here. Mm-hmm. One reason being guns. Uh huh. Yeah. Chicago is just such a sad, sad place now because mm-hmm. you you can send your child to school and not be too sure if they're going to come home alive. So tell me, because guns are so prevalent there. You were talking earlier about Rockford uh-huh. um, and also Chicago being 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, you know, okay, that was a personal observation that, that was totally anecdotal, but that's what it seemed like to me. So, okay. <laughs> so, like, we have discussions often about, well, is it the times? Like, the times are changing, culture is changing, kids are playing video games or shoot them up, bang, bang, all the time. But you're saying, like, even when you were in Rock, Rockford, mm-hmm. and that was before the 90s, I know. Yep. It seemed like it was still happening. Oh, yeah. So what do you think it's about? Is it mental health? Is it mental illness that's causing all this? I think people have become desensitized. Mm. When you see something so much, and it's so prevalent, I mean, every movie, every TV show, you know, there's a bunch of shoot 'em up. Mm-hmm. You know, and the, and the actor gets to come back and play another movie, another blockbuster movie, you know, in a couple of years, you know, right. we, we get desensitized to it. And, and we think it's just, it's, it's, it's the way of doing things. Mm-hmm. You know, the art of compromise, the art of, of talking things out, it's going by the wayside. You know, it used to be the the, the, the the thing you had to be afraid of was somebody pulling a knife out in a, in a fist fight. Mm-hmm. You know, well now... It's a gun. You know, it's a gun. And um, we become desensitized. I mean, that's, that's, uh, that's all it seems to me to be, for, for me to be. Totally desensitization. I, I don't have to, I don't have to put up with this. I'm just going to go ahead and kill the people that piss me off and have done with it. Right. Hmm. That's the times. That's the times. Um, going back to the act team. You said that you work mostly with adults with serious mental illness mm-hmm. um, who have trouble staying in and out of jail or yeah. prison. They can they go in and out of jail, in and out of the hospital, you know, just, yeah. So I'm um, going to read this to you. This is from the 2019 budget of the U.S. government, which request... billion for health and human services. This is Mm -hmm. just a proposal. This is, of course, under our new president. And this budget requests new investments to ensure adults with serious mental illness and evidence-based, well, I should say, receive assertive community treatment, which is the ACT team, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Which is an evidence-based practice that provides a comprehensive array of services 
to reduce costly hospitalization. Mm -hmm. And so that's what you were talking about, like working one-on-one with them. So for 2019, we have a new budget coming. Okay. What oops, What do you think would be or is needed for improved treatment? If there can be one thing you think... One of the things that happened under the Reagan administration was the closing of mental health hospitals. Why was that? I have no idea. I was too young to find to, to understand the, the the implications of that, but I know what it what happened as a result was the homeless population exploded. Mm. With, with with no place to go, no place to be, mm-hmm. they went to the streets. Mm-hmm. Um and there's, there's a certain remnant of that that still, you know, they were still closing mental health facilities as of just a few years ago. But now there's somebody, there's places that are thinking, you know, building back, building that back up. Uh, because it's, it's ridiculous to have, you know, mentally ill people homeless, mm-hmm. you know, and unable to get services, unable to get housing, unable to get treatment for their mental illness. Mm-hmm. So a continued awareness that this is a growing problem and we need to be able to handle it. And I'm seeing some that that budget seems sound sounds like it's they're, they're, that somebody's got it mm-hmm. up there that we need to have more. It's, it's definitely something that needs more 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 funding. Um, they were they were kicking people off, uh, you know, Medicaid and food stamps and all this, you know, a few, a, a few years back. But now that's you know tempered a little bit, and you know people need these services. Mm-hmm. You just can't have people dying, you know, on the street. Uh, so and families with children, you know, our next generation, the people that are going to be running things in a few years, mm-hmm. come on. So um, I just think that, 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 that that's a step in the right direction, making sure that we are able to provide services for the people that need it. So, Because yeah. it really surprises me, like when someone has an addiction, like you were saying, they have an addiction to spice. Mm-hmm. And I know that addiction is a disease because surely if someone could kick it, they would. Surely if they wouldn't spend their money all on spice, they would, right? Okay, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, and this is why spice is so insidious. Okay. You get high quickly, mm-hmm. but you also come down quickly. We have people who are willing to trade food for spice. Hmm. They'd rather have spice than eat. We had a client who's got diabetes. His blood sugar was 66. I don't know what that means. Tell me. Okay. Normal blood sugar is like 100, 99, 98. Oh, wow. And with his diabetes, you know, it can be be higher than that. But his, his blood sugar was 66. I said, when did you last eat something? Yeah. Oh, I don't know, a couple of days ago. Oh, wow. And the report had come back that he had been trading his food for spice. Something is very insidious about that that particular drug. Yeah. If you'd rather get go for that 
quick, real quick, real, real intense high. Like I said, it's really intense, but it goes away quickly. Mm-hmm. And next thing you know, you're smoking again. Mm-hmm. You can tell them by their, their, their fingertips are burned mm-hmm. from the, their, their orange or, or brown or black from smoking the spice. I don't know if they do it in the cigarette form or a glass pipe or what, you know, whatever, but they would really, they're willing to burn themselves. One guy had burned lips even oh, wow. from it. But they're willing to forego eating for spice. It's an insidious, insidious drug. So how do, what will be an effective way to treat either addiction, mental illness? We're still trying to find out. Still trying to find a way. I mean, some of these people have been in river in in, in um, um, what's the name of that place? Um, um, past 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 Walmart, Sycamore Springs. Oh yes. To be to be to be you know, to learn about the addiction and learn how to that why they should be avoiding it and all that to go to the the program to be detoxed from it and all that several times. Because as soon as they get out. The first thing you're looking for is spice again. It's it's insidious. I, I don't even know the answer. Don't even know the answer. They get they go in for detox only to, to, to only to retox. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't get it either. I don't get it either. But and and, and, and a lot of times. They may be they may be self medicating. Mm-hmm. Um, mental health drugs are not all perfect, and there is no one size fits all. And this is why I tell my clients: you have to be totally honest with the doctor. He cannot treat you if you're lying to him. If it's not if something's not working for you, tell him it's not working. They can they can tweak the the, the dosage. They can try something else. You know, there's more than one drug for mental illness. There's, hi. hi. All right, we kind of got interrupted a little bit, but that's all right. So, Ms. CJ, tell me, why do you think mental illness um, has, or what has perpetuated the violent stigma that's associated with mental illness? I think that's rooted in... um, Wives' tale, old wives' tales. Mm-hmm. You know, they they figure that somebody who's crazy will flip out, and that is still going on. That's, that 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 myth is to perpetuate that people Girl, just flip you out. Oh, he crazy! Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> you can't never tell what they're gonna do. Yeah. You know, they just you can just flip out at any time. You know, and that's that's still a part of our culture. Mm-hmm. You know, because uh, I remember hearing that kind of stuff when I was a kid. And that was 50 plus years ago, okay? <laughs> so, <coughs> excuse me, it's still, it's still perpetuated. And um, it's not necessarily, it's, it's, still, it's still kind of like the, 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 the conversation mm-hmm. that goes, among, goes on among people who are not familiar with mental illness. That people just flip out. And truly, that does happen sometimes. But um, it's not the norm. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes somebody will get symptomatic, and that's what we call it. Getting when they become symptomatic. Um, sometimes their symptomatic behaviors can be uh, where they 
um, act out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, I think it's more more of a myth too, in that you know, like they all do that. Yeah. They don't all do that. Because I'm reading one book um, on mental illness, and the guy says that he'd rather walk the halls of a mental hospital than walk the streets of a big city because <laughs> like there's more chance to get hurt on the street than in the psych ward. Uh-huh. Well, in the psych ward, they're medicated. Mm-hmm. That's true. <laughs> you know, they, 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 they have their medications that they're supposed to take for their, whatever their diagnosis is, and that's supposed to help them with symptom control, symptom management. Mm-hmm. So, where do you see, let's say, a year, five years from now, um, mental health awareness and solutions to mental illnesses? And I'm saying this only, like, again, because we have now mass shootings have, you know, put mental health at the forefront. Being able to diagnose and get them into treatment is the important thing. I have a friend who um, was married and his wife was diagnosed with schizophrenia. Mm. But she wasn't going to take them to the, the, the meds. She wasn't going to take them meds. She was just, she wasn't, she didn't, you know, she didn't believe in them and she wasn't going to take them and, and basically made his life hell um, because she would not be treated for her mental illness. Mm-hmm. It's the, the person has to be willing to get to be treated. Um, just being diagnosed is not enough. Mm-hmm. And this is why people that the, the people on the ACT team generally are there voluntarily. Hmm. Very few are there under commitment. Uh, they have to want to get better. Mm-hmm. And that's how that that, 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 that that's and because we're, we're a country, we're, it's a free country. Mm-hmm. You hear that all the time. You know, we can't force people. To be to 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 seek treatment and to be treated, so it's a matter of the diagnosis being made and the person desiring to become better. Therefore, in, involving being involved in treatment, mm-hmm. um, yeah. If the person becomes does something in their illness that causes them to break the law, mm-hmm. that's where they may become under commitment. But not everything that people do under, you know, when they, when they, when they have a mental illness is, is a lawbreaker. Right. You know, talking to people badly is <laughs> not breaking the law. Right. You know, uh, 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 keeping your kids from, from, from uh, engaging in school activities is not against the law. Mm-hmm. You know, just because you're, 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 become, you're, you're paranoid that something will happen to them. Right. You know, those, those, not everything that, that people do is against the law. But when you do break the law, and then that become, then it becomes a, a situation where they can be under commitment, mm-hmm. and they have to accept treatment if they want to get out from under being committed, mm-hmm. under commitment. So, it's it's, a, it's it's because we're a free country, right? You know, we can't make people want to get well. How many years have you been on the acting now? 
It was 10 years last in September of 2018. Wow. 2000, 2017, wait, 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 wait. 2017. Yeah. Okay. It was 10 years. 10 years. And in your experience, how does the ACT team um, help or aid in the success of a person living with a mental illness or a serious mental illness? They have to take advantage of the full range of services we provide. Um, not everybody wants therapy. Mm-hmm. I can dig that. Not everybody wants to be, you know, to tell their life story to somebody and, and, and you know, I, I think it would help more people than get involved. But, you know, but at least they need to make sure that they come in for the monthly visits with the psychiatrist to make sure their medications are working. Mm-hmm. And if they're not working, to let him tweak them so, they, they can, so that they can work for them, either change the dosage or change the particular product. Um, you know, not, not everything works for everybody. There's right. no one size fits all. Um, they have to be willing to engage in the case management. You know, um, do you need skills training to help you to learn how to how to take take care of an apartment that you're renting? Mm-hmm. You know, it's not your personal property, mm-hmm. <laughs> so no, you can't <laughs> throw knives at the door. <laughs> you know, no, you no, you can't just tear right. something up because you decide you do, you want something different. Right. You know, um, <laughs> you know, they have to really be willing to engage in 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 skills training and development if that's what they need. They need to be willing to um, be honest when we talk to them about, about their, their, their progress. Are you using your coping skills to help mitigate your, pro- your, your, your symptoms? Are you, using, are you um, being thoughtful about what you do before you do it, before you make a decision? Do you think it through to the, mm-hmm. to the, to the end result that you want to occur mm-hmm. you know, before you do something? Um, you know, it's just a matter of them truly being engaged and wanting to be um, to be a, a participating member of their own recovery. Yeah. So. So, how much of you do you get to incorporate into your treatments or into your everyday interactions with your clients? Because you are a singer. Yeah. So do you, you know? Ever... No, I don't. I don't really use singing with my treatment. I don't. Um, but I have used what I what I have tagged as rock and roll therapy. I, okay. I shouldn't call it that. <laughs> but a client was upset because his daughter would make plans. His grown daughter would make plans with him, and then the last minute break them. Mm. Well, I reminded him. Uh, um, I asked him, well, when she was growing up, that was when you were drinking heavily, right? I said, yeah. Would you make promises to your daughter and she, and then not follow through with them? Yeah. Well, I said, remember the song by Jim Croce about the cats in the cradle and the silver spoon? Mm-hmm. Little boy blue and the man in the moon. When you're coming home, Dad, I don't know when, but we'll get together then. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Remember that song? That the boy grew up. And became and, and became like his father was to him, not available. Yeah. I said, you remember that? He said, Oh yeah. Wow. Yeah, that that makes sense. He was finally able to see by me bringing up that song yeah. that was very popular because we were up at the same age. Okay. You know, <laughs> we were both growing when we were both younger. Mm-hmm. Um, that um, they kid the kid was 
kids model what they see. Mm -hmm. If that's what she got from you when you when she was growing up, she's giving it back to you. Yeah. He said, "Oh wow." I said, "You got to be a little more forgiving at that at this point. You can't change the past, but you can be a little more forgiving about her. Yeah. Or to her about what she's doing, and just be patient. Oh, just yeah. be patient." That's a must. Yeah. And, and, and for him, things did work out to the point where they were, you know, connecting and they were having regular visits, but then something again, you know, something else fell apart, yeah. you know, and, um, you know, but that's, 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 that's a part of life, mm -hmm. you know, that things aren't going to be perfect all the time. Mm -hmm. But he was able to understand that in the context of that song that I brought up to him. Right. So, but no, I don't sing to them. <laughs> So you have enough of singing with your husband is a musician as well, right? Yes, he is. So after a week of work, you have to remember yourself and take care of your own mental space. That's right. That's you right. and your husband, do you all jam out? And how do you all relax together after this long week of work? <laughs> <laughs> we zone out on movies. <laughs> because we're both movie lovers, too. Okay. And if, if, if I've seen a movie that, I, that he hasn't seen, and, and I'll you know ask him to watch that with me. And if, I, if, if there's a movie that he's seen that I haven't seen, then we, you know. But then, we, yeah, we do, we, we do also practice music together, you know. Aww. That's if he nice. wants us to try, to try, you know, some songs that are more suitable to my voice and to my temperament, mm -hmm. then we do that too. So, That's sweet. yeah, we do. That's sweet. All right. So this is one of my favorite parts of the show, okay. and it's who in the world, where in the world, and how in the world. Okay. Okay. So first question is, who in the world inspired you? or led you to become the person you are today? And that's either in your singing, in your community leadership role, even as a mental health advocate. Who inspired you? I have to say my dad. Mm -hmm. um, thankfully, he's still alive. We bumped head, heads a lot when I was younger. For sure. And I found out after I would come, become, became older and learned a lot more that we bumped heads because we were just alike. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm still blessed that I'm able to go back home and, and, and talk with him and, 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 and share with him and, um, you know, just be able to inter interact with him an adult, on an adult level. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he, he, he was very big on family. Mm -hmm. You know, if one of us was being in a, was in a play or playing in a concert, we all went. Yeah. That was his, that was his thing. You know, we would all support each other. And, you know, I was, I have, I was in orchestra. Um, so, and I was in a play once. So yeah, we, we all went. And if, if my, you know, sisters were playing in the orchestra, you know, we all went. So mm -hmm. he was very big on family, and, I, and I'm, I'm big on a family, too. Uh, unfortunately, the rest of my family is not too big on family. Uh, I have not been able to pass it on to my kids, it seems, uh, as much as I tried to do that. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, this, this, this new generation is a whole different thing, too. Mm -hmm. uh, 
but um, family is very important to me, just like it was with my dad. And, um, you know, community service, giving back was important to him, and it was, it's important to me. Um, and uh, just striving for betterment, mm. you know, in oneself and thereby in one's community. Yeah. That's big. So. All right, so we got daddy. And where in the world would you and your dad travel? I mean, it can be anywhere in the whole world because I have this magical ticket and you can go anywhere. Someone went to heaven once. I always use that as an example. <laughs> <laughs> so if you can go anywhere in the world, if you can take him with you, where would y'all go? Hawaii. Okay. <laughs> I can use some sun right now. <laughs> Unfortunately, we'd be in the hotel the whole time. <laughs> but still, <laughs> uh, I'd take my little excursions outside. But yeah, I'd like to take my dad to a beautiful place like Hawaii. That'll be nice. Yeah. And when y'all get there, how would you honor your father? Mm. Well, a big dinner party. Make sure there's a band. That <laughs> was a good band, a good jazz band. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's how I would do that. Because my dad, my dad inspired my love for jazz. Um, you know, as a matter of fact, when he when I went to college, I took every one of his jazz albums <laughs> to school with me. <laughs> so that's where they went. That's where they went. <laughs> he wasn't playing them anyway. <laughs> That was my rationale. <laughs> and then just on that one day, but they're, but they're not playing them. But they're, they're, back in, they're back in his collection now. <laughs> oh. All right. So we're finishing up soon. Um, but before we finish, um, just because you have so much experience, if someone isn't experienced, and they are with someone who is experiencing psychosis or a mental health um, breakdown, maybe not the first time or maybe the first time for the other person's experience. Mm -hmm. What advice can you give? You said earlier about remain like, calm, calm. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but also remain watchful. Mm -hmm. Try talking to them in low measured tones to try to because what you have to do is try to calm them down. Mm -hmm. And um, I would just say, but, but, but make sure that they're not between you and the door. Mm -hmm. <laughs> escape plan. Right. Yeah. <laughs> make sure you have an escape plan. Make sure you're, be, you're closer to the door than they are. Um, so that um, if you need to get out, that you can. Mm -hmm. But you would definitely try to talk to them in low measured tones and not... Um, ramp things up in, the, in you know in excitement or in in, in stimulus mm -hmm. um, because with each person each person is different each person is different but the the the, the, the best go to position is to speak in low measure tones and calmly calmly interact with them and for someone who's been in a facility, whether it's inpatient or outpatient, and they may have had an issue with a professional there. Um, is there any type of recourse? There, the, every facility should have an ombudsman. 
somebody who is who is uh, whose job it is to take complaints and um, take them seriously, mm-hmm. and to um, see see if there's any one if there's any pattern of this kind of plant coming through, if because it may be a systemic problem, it may be an individual problem, but to see if there's anything that can be done, and to try to um, make a resolution through that. That's what an ombudsman is for. Okay. So every facility ought to have one. Right. I know we, I know Wabash Valley does. You know, if somebody gets me, gets in my face, and they talk about the act team doesn't do nothing for me, and blah 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 blah. blah. Like, You're welcome to talk to our ombudsman. <laughs> you know, we 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 have a recourse for you if you've got a problem that you need to express. Mm-hmm. You're free to call the ombudsman. And nine times out of ten, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's it's just. Uh, a, a, a hollow complaint. Yeah. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're mad that this particular situation did not work out for them mm-hmm. in their favor. They didn't get what they wanted. Yeah. Uh, I'm saying nine times out of ten. But that, that, that one time could be, a system, could be a systemic problem that needs to be looked at and addressed. Mm-hmm. So, always look for the ombudsman. Okay. Any last words about mental health or mental health in Tippecanoe County? A lot of work still needs to be done. Um, one of the, um, I don't know, I can't call it a problem, but there's like a revolving door with regards to case managers. Um, I'm one of the rare few that have been doing this long enough so that I know basically what to do and basically, uh, you know, I know the clientele that the ACT team has. Um, yeah, we're always getting new people, but we do have some people that have been there as long as I have, if not longer. Mm-hmm. Um, the population is, getting, is, is growing older. Better health care, people are living a lot longer. Mm-hmm. Um, so if we... Nobody seems to want to stay being a case manager, and I can understand that. Um, but those that have the heart for it should stick around, be there, be there for more than one or two years, and you know, get to know the clients and become some kind of a stability for them. Um, I'm glad that I've been able to do that. Uh, you know, so there, there are some people who appreciate the fact that I've been there as long as I have, because I know them, you know, a lot better than some of the newer case managers. But, yeah, you know, I know a lot of young people come through, they want to do the case manager thing while they do their, get their degree, get their master's degree in social work and are able to become therapists, you know. Mm-hmm. That's, that's okay, we need therapists too. Um, so, yeah, just being, being, just being in it for the long haul. Any volunteer opportunities? Not so much. Hmm. Because there's a lot of legal things that get in the way of that. I see. Now, um, like if we need donations, you know, for, you know, Christmas or whatever, you know, we can get people to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, otherwise, volunteer opportunities, there's not really that much that can be done. Hmm. I hate to say that, but there's, there's so many, so many legal implications involved. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, Miss CJ. 
where can, how can connectors connect with you if they have any questions, um, maybe any problems themselves here in Lafayette, West Lafayette, Tippecanoe County? Well, I would just say call the Wabash Valley main office number. You know, if you have a, a question about a family member who's experiencing some, uh, some signs of mental illness, um, we have intake days at Wabash Valley on, main, on 610 Main Street. Um, I'm not sure what they are now. They've changed. Um, but um, that would be a good place to start is go to 610 Main Street, the first floor, and ask if you can have a, a loved one if a loved one can have an appointment to see somebody, to give them get them assessed. So you don't want to ignore anything that seems like a mental health uh, problem. Mm -hmm. Seeing delusions, hearing voices, um, perpetually depressed, um, or, or always manic, always having to do something, always you know, rushing here, rushing there, rushing everywhere to try to you know, do something and talking real fast and, and not really making it a whole lot of sense. You, know, you might want to have them assessed. So. Yeah. All right, then. There you have it, Ms. C.J. Brooks, case manager at Wabash Valley Alliance. You can see her at Wabash Valley Alliance at 610 <laughs> Main Street. And you know how to connect with me. You can go to my email. Well, I'm sorry. You can go to my website, ampsconnected.com. You can email me, info.ampsconnected at gmail.com. Or hit me up on Twitter or Instagram at ampsconnected. Until next time, you know what to do. Stay connected.